On today's Sports and Rec, we talk about the basketball tournament, Ford vs. Ferrari, and continue our Parks and Rec rewatch by discussing episodes 16, 17, and 18 of season 2. Hope you enjoy the pod. Welcome to Sports and Rec. I'm Anthony Restivo alongside Casey McGarvey. Today is Thursday, July 16th. And I got a, a big regret, actually. I saw on Twitter that there is this basketball tournament going on called The Basketball Tournament. And it looked like it was actually one of the most exciting things. Basically, imagine the uh, March Madness in the summertime with like former college basketball players, some former potential NBA players. I think Joe Johnson was in the league um, or some other ones that were like playing professionally overseas. But it looked like one of the most fun tournaments. I can't believe I missed it. Had you heard anything about this tournament? Uh, not this year. I've heard about it in the past. I, uh, we were talking before the show. Uh, Jimmer, I think Jimmer Fredette's teams won it once or twice in the past. Yeah. Um, ESPN covered highlights of it in the past years, but I didn't realize or see anything about it on Twitter. Um well, yeah, I think I think uh, ESPN actually aired the uh, finals last night. But basically, I mean, the concept is it's like a single single elimination tournament with like twenty four teams trying to win like a million dollars at the end, so the winners get a million bucks. And it's just a regular set of teams, not like three on three or anything like that. So five v five, full court, um, and all the same general rules except the 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 Elam ending at the end, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's basically at a certain point in the fourth quarter, the clock gets turned off and then they add, I think it's eight points, eight or seven points to the leading team score. So if it's, they have 70 points at that moment, it's the first team to reach 78 points. So even the other team that's losing, they could have only like 50 or, or even like 68 at that point, but they still just only have to hit 78. So basically it leads to a buzzer beater no matter what. So because as soon as you hit 78, the game's over, right. um, which is, makes every game exciting. The NBA All-Star uh, game used it this year, and it led to some really exciting um, and craziness to the end at the end of that game. Um, but this has been kind of played around with since the start of this tournament. But I saw highlights of it online. I'm completely upset at myself that I didn't know that this was going on because I would have watched it. But basically, the game was like 75-73 at the end. And the team that was up, at, they needed to hit 78. And they hit a three. So it was basically a million-dollar three, which is just crazy because it was in the, the final. So 
they win 78-73. So it's a weird score, but the guy hit a three-pointer at the bu- like three three-pointer buzzer beater to win a million bucks for his team. So the team went nuts, the announcer went nuts. It was just like so that, no fans there right now, but um but no, it's, I don't, and there was a couple more of those moments like I was seeing other ways the games ended and stuff and it looked like it was like so much fun. I'm so mad that I, I had no idea what was going on. I, I'm so mad at myself because that would have been like great content to watch. I've heard of that rule, but I haven't watched it like in place yet. So that would have been cool to see. It does sound like a good ending and, you know, brings every team into the end of the game and kind of takes the clock out of it. Um, I guess you could still do some of the fouling, but. No, the fouling wouldn't really make a lot of sense because you're trying to hit the same score too. So if you're any points they're scoring, they're getting closer to the score. So yeah, the only yeah. reason it, it only I think it's a super rare instance that the guy that created this rule, the Jason Elam, I think his name is, or, or Nick Elam, or something like that. I think it's Jason or oh whatever, Jason or Nick, whatever. The Elam guy um, said that it would be in like a really rare instance where like they were down, like the other team was like four points away or something and then they were like two points away like you'd want to foul them so that other team can't get like a basket or something like that like if they needed three points you would foul them so they could only score two and you were only like one or two points away i don't know it's just a weird but it's like a super rare instance regardless because basically it's just a race to the finish so now the, the foul is eliminated there's no like kind of just like team sitting back and relaxing now you have to try to reach that number so like it's still like full-on aggressive um play to kind of hit that number which made it way more exciting um but i'm 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 mad i missed it um now i'm gonna have to like look out for this every every summer moving forward but it seems like first of all they ran a successful tournament i saw that they had to like five teams um had to leave because of uh coronavirus stuff but they had four backups ready um so they were kind of prepared for for that in in that instance and and the way the teams are constructed is like the team that won was former uh marquette players um there was a syracuse they're called bayheims um something okay. yes okay i did i was wondering why Bayheim was trending yeah that's why the other night on twitter okay now this is all making sense to me yeah Bayheim was trending on twitter the other night or at least in the sports section so now it's all connect okay i'm good yeah so there was an ohio state team um and they had won it last year i guess but yeah so an ohio state alum oklahoma state alumni clemson alumni so there's like 24 teams but there's like six seven eight of them or something like that were you know former college so it's like if you follow follow college basketball and some of the major conferences you'd be like oh i know i recognize that name like it was like Eric Devendor from Syracuse who was there for like who was there for like ten years. So like there you always like recognize some of these players and stuff. Like the guy that hit the game winning shot, I remember Travis Steiner from Marquette. Um I think he played with D Wade, so um so and then Joe Johnson was on one of the teams, former NBA player. Um they had some like overseas teams. You mentioned Jimmer's played in the league in the past, so I don't know. It's it's a really interesting. Um, so like the quality still kind of like you get at least Division One level potential quality uh, of talent and games. So and that's always fun to watch too. But like add in all those other factors, a single single elimination, cash prize at the end that goes like all to the players, um, and kind of that automatic buzzer beater finish. It's pretty uh, pretty cool and interesting concept that i'm i'm bummed i missed out on it's cool nostalgia tournament 
Exactly. Like you said those names. Uh, that'd be kind of cool if they did a nostalgia football one, like but flag football. Like yeah, I don't want. I don't think it'd be a great game, but I think that'd be a fun <laughs> weekend if they did. You know, something similar with a flag football game with some of the best Division One college players who aren't aren't playing the league anymore. I think that could be a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, now I'm bummed I missed it too. Devendorf takes me back to that seven overtime game. Oh, that's right. He was on that team. Yeah, I believe he was the one that jumped up on the table. Um, yes. Thought he hit the buzzer beater, and he didn't, or he may have done it when they won in the seventh overtime. But that was a wild game. But yeah, yeah. Wow. takes him way back. Yeah, Brandon Trish too, or something like that. Yeah. So I was recognizing um, a bunch of the names, and I'm like, Aaron Kraft from Ohio State was on the Ohio State yeah. one. So yeah, it's just like you, if you followed it at all, or some of these players stuck around for a little while. And we're relatively good on good teams. It was kind of oh, this is uh, this is Jared Sullinger. I think was on the Ohio State team too. Oh I think yeah, he, he played for the Celtics. I was gonna say he played for the Celtics a little bit. Um, so yeah, definitely um, a fun kind of flashback nostalgia, but like getting some good quality competition. And um, like I said, some of the other elements of it just really exciting and, and interesting. So I'm I'm definitely gonna have to put it on my radar for the next time bummed or hopefully they do something again soon maybe they don't have to do it just every summer and with everything going on maybe they can find another way to kind of uh do it run it back or something like that would be kind of cool um but other than that i was actually able to uh something i actually was able to watch um was ford versus ferrari so i got into that um i know that you had watched it i think you said you rewatched it again after i told you i watched it um because it's been a little while so just to refresh yourself but uh uh, I really liked it. It was a fascinating story, um, crazy story um, about race car driver. But yeah, w- wanted to hear. Now let's dive into it since you've seen it twice now. Like, talk me through your thoughts on it. Yeah, everybody. Spoiler alerts are probably going to be coming. Oh yeah, <laughs> want to watch the movie, and I recommend you do if you haven't seen it. I'd skip ahead a little bit. Um, uh, the other thing to point out too is it is a true story too, so the spoilers are already out there if you <laughs> really wanted to like do any research. So if you don't know the story, just watch the movie. Just look at it. I believe it's on HBO Go right now. If you have that, watch it. Highly recommend it. Um, big fans of Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Again, what we were talking about before the podcast. I think Christian Bale, I do think he gets a lot of credit for being a good actor, but I also think he's incredibly underrated. The way he takes on roles and truly becomes that actor, especially in some of these biopic movies he does, um, he did an outstanding job. Um, he was basically the main character outside of uh, Matt Damon being Shelby um, with him being Ken Miles, the driver, kind of crazy. Um, but I really enjoyed Matt Damon and Christian Bale together. Um, I thought they acted super well together, um, bounced off each other well, um, and took those two roles um, and made the movie. So it was great. Yeah, I um. Do you know if they played it in a movie together? I didn't look this up before, but I I can't ima- I can't remember one that they would have been in together. Um, that's well known, but uh, no, yeah, I Christian Bale's performance as as Ken Miles, the race car uh, driver from the '60s, um, definitely a really good performance. The only nitpick, uh, as I had to turn the volume up because for some reason I felt like every scene he was in with his wife, um, they talked at a much lower volume so like my volume was up into like the 80s and 90s to try to catch what they had to say plus they had really strong british accents because that's what he was from uh i think he was from the uk um and 
so it's and they use some kind of lingo and, and slang that I wasn't always familiar with. So added some subtitles at, at different moments too. But other than that, um, super uh, fascinating story just about a race car driver and a former race car driver trying to design a, a race car to beat Ferrari in this like 24 hour, which is a wild concept now if you think about it, but a 24 hour uh, race in France, um, which Ferrari typically had dominated. Um, and Ford was trying to like stay relevant within the automobile industry. And this was how they were trying to do that. So they hired this former race car driver and now car, I think it was a car salesman or maybe a, he was designing his own cars at the time, but, uh, hired him to kind of design their next thing to kind of compete with Ferrari and, and racing. Yeah, it's where the Ford GT was pretty much born. Yeah, um, was it GT40? Is it, is yeah. it was? Yeah. They, they won four straight, which was huge. Uh, I know. really interesting to me is how initially Ford was just going in to try to buy Ferrari. Oh, so yeah. Ford Ferrari, that would have been nuts if that deal had truly gone through. But the way Ferrari finagled it to stay an Italian company with Fiat and those photos with the Fiat company, I thought was a pretty interesting spin um to not only make like ford look bad but also just keep it italian altogether because uh fiat bought it for 18 million i think it was but ferrari ferrari pretty much just kept it like he was still the controlling person of it right he definitely got what he wanted so a he got to make the americans look bad and b got to really keep control of his company um because they were initially bankrupt because the amount of money he sunk into the racing team and then I don't know if you caught, like, the Ferrari cars are outstanding for a reason. The way they were going through there, it's not really an assembly line. Like they said, one person. Oh, yeah, the production the of the cars. One yeah. person works on this. Everything is handmade. Like, no wonder they went bankrupt. No wonder the cars are outstanding, but no wonder they went bankrupt at the time because you can't churn out that many cars that way. Yeah, no, that was a stark contrast between the two was seeing the uh, assembly line model and the Ford dealership where – uh, Henry Ford the second like kind of like shuts it all down um, and you see like how how they operate and then they go and visit the Ferrari um, workshop and it's just a guy one guy kind of just really perfecting um, the engine or some other part of the car um, as they're walking through the shop and, and there's very much a lot of care and craftsmanship going into it um, so yeah very, really stark differences between those two things um, but yeah I mean I, I supposedly what I took away from that is that they were planning on going to Fiat anyway. I think they were trying to get, they only talked to Ford in order to like uh, raise the price a little bit. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but, and then I think there's probably the elements that you mentioned probably played a factor as well. Like they'd probably rather be, you know, staying with an Italian, another Italian company, um, not care about like helping out another U S company, uh, especially one that was trying to take away some of his control and um and probably wouldn't care about it the product the same way that he does um but yeah seeing that battle between those two even you know racing itself is already a sport and a competition but it was kind of they were bringing that competition into the corporate side of it too uh, which was like an interesting uh way to kind of make you like care like oh now you want to see ford kind of win because like the ferrari was kind of like screwing them over in, in a sense um even though the corporate people in ford were pretty shitty too and um oh, yeah. 
you weren't rooting for them in any way. It's more the driver and, and Shelby. It also looks like there's a number of different books about it. So I could see myself, I can see that being an interesting subject. I mean, I like diving into these true stories um, when I don't know anything about it. Because I had no idea, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, no idea um, Ken Songs dies at the end of it. Like, Ken Miles, yeah. Miles, excuse me, uh, died at the end of it. Like, that came as like a huge, like, oh my gosh. That was that. not what I expected. I thought... I thought it was going to um, end with him just driving ar- around it. I thought that's where the movie was ending, but I was like, there's still a lot of time left. That's kind of weird. But um, but yeah, call back to an earlier scene where he almost dies previously testing out a different model, um, but is able to actually escape. But um, apparently, like I ended up looking it up because like, is that actually true? Does that actually happen? Or was this kind of more for the dramatic effect in the movie? Um, but it sounds like the crash in real life was way more dramatic than the way it was kind of depicted in the um in the movie whereas like his car kind of went airborne flipped around and like was like way more intense is kind of how i was understanding it um and it was a car that shelby had designed but was struggling to design i guess too so it's you know you get that added uh, element of that partnership kind of um being the the successful and, and happy side of it but then also the kind of um disappointing and and sad side of it um which i guess isn't uncommon in that world i think there's a bunch of other racing stories in the past of you know engineers trying to work on cars and working and having a driver that they work closely with and then especially in the early years where cars weren't as safe um but uh like drivers you know ending up passing away and, and dying in accidents as a result of you know flaws in the design or or things that hadn't been kind of fully flushed out yet but no that was that was crazy the end I, totally took me by surprise was not expecting that the other thing that surprised me was the way the that 24-hour race first of all how the, those 24-hour races finish it sounded like daytona used to do something similar um where you can also kind of change out your driver um, i think it was the daytona race that was also another really long race too but they were able to switch out their driver at different moments of the race so I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess that makes sense for the length that they were driving. But then, is that true? The Daytona one used to be like a 24-hour race too? I think they still do a number of them. Le Mans still happens. I mean, it'll be going on September 19th uh, of this year, starting at 8.30 a.m. That's crazy. Uh, and I think they still have it. I think it's pretty much called like endurance racing. Mm, that um, makes sense. So I still think it's a, I still think it's a big deal. Like, obviously, it's not on uh major sport radars but obviously there's a ton of money in it with like porsche having teams ferrari having teams i'm still there i'm sure there's still some four gt teams out there um and just all these major powerful cars out there on there and a lot of money at those sort of events um but i think i might tune into it this year keep an eye on it see what's going on with it i think it'd be a neat thing to kind of follow like not watch it really because that would be a long day. <laughs> oh, but I bet there's got to be somebody on Twitter tweeting about it or a hashtag for it. So I think that'd be kind of neat to follow, see what they're doing with the cars and follow it a little bit this year. Maybe we'll be able to talk about it when that comes up in September. Yeah, it'd be uh, definitely more interesting than I would have ever been in it before um, just because it's such a crazy endurance race. And the track wasn't super complicated, it didn't seem like. Obviously, they're driving uh, – 
not like standard race cars that you would see like Jeff Gordon or, or otherwise, uh, like Jimmy Johnson driving, but, um, going like over 200 miles an hour. Um, but it's, a, it seems like it's, uh, still a pretty basic, like oval track, but there's some like other kind of twisty turning elements to it, but, um, nothing too intense. Like some of those F1 races that you see where they like basically slow down a lot because they're super tight turns and, right have to uh, make it so nothing crazy like that but still a little bit different than a normal like nascar race but um eight miles of country road pretty much yeah and then like nothing to kind of like block you uh from going off road or anything like that too and then even the crazy start where they like run to their cars and then they all kind of just like take off and how like even the movie depicted a couple accidents actually happening um so the the door thing um did actually happen i thought that was just put in there for like humor um but that actually did happen in that race. But it was more a result of he collided with, an, uh, like, I think his one of the other Ford cars when they were uh, kind of peeling out to, to start the race. Um, and they were able, like, he had the, again, pit after the first lap and then was able to kind of catch up. He set a bunch of records. But the end of that race, so he was set, he was like, significantly ahead of everybody else and ready to win, like, what they were calling, like, the Triple Crown. Uh, of the racing world um and then the ford guy had you know kind of a gripe with him and and wasn't a fan of of that driver and was trying to play it off as like let's get a ford uh photo op of like all three because the one two three cars in that race were all fords and he was like oh let's get all three of them crossing the finish line together because all the ferraris were competing at the beginning, but they kind of all uh, faded out over the 24 hours in either accidents or, or otherwise with their cars kind of uh, failing out. Um, and so, but Miles was so far ahead, and then they had him slow down so that he the other cars could catch up to him. And then as a result, they all crossed at the same time in the movie. This is how it's depicted. But the, and the, uh, supposedly the officials agreed to it and then they changed their minds in the last hour or so um and that's when it became more so the car that started further back had traveled farther and that's how um they determined who actually ended up winning so even though ken miles has set like five lap records and was leading for basically a majority of the race and was significantly far ahead at that last lap didn't get the the victory unfortunately um but I guess in what actually happened in real life was there wasn't that same ruling, but everything else happened the same, except that Miles supposedly slowed down at the at the very end because he was so pissed um, that this was like what they were wanted. So he slowed down to intentionally let somebody else win because he was just so pissed off about it. Which that feels more in line. I'm surprised they didn't show that in the movie because that feel the way they depicted it in the movie did not feel like him um like based on how his character was throughout the rest of the show where he kind of just said fuck everybody else i'm gonna race and drive how i want to kind of thing um that's all i cared about was driving and winning so it was kind of strange for him to kind of like give in that easily um but still like a crazy and actually in in a lot of ways a, a pretty um like sad ending in in some respects um just because he won he ended up passing away eventually he never ended up winning the race um but he was still just very happy that he was able to like someone gave him a chance because he was in his 40s i think at that point 
Yeah, I mean, I can understand why the movie for a little bit of movie magic, you know, um, Shelby giving him the way they talked about it, making it his choice, making sure he didn't tell him to do it. Um, but I do think the actual true depiction is would match up much more with that character than what actually happened. Um, but I can kind of see Ford's side of it, like wanting that picture. That's a pretty cool photo to have of your three cars crossing the finish line at the same time at Le Mans. Um, it's a big power move. Oh, I mean, yeah. So I can see both sides of it. Again, in the movie, you're not really liking that one character who's the like the senior VP underneath Ford. So obviously he hated it at the time. But now for me, looking back at it, especially in this, like, it's obviously no social media at that point, but everybody read the papers, saw these photos. It's content. And then that's an unreal photo for Ford to have forever that photo that finished at Le Mans. So, um, but all, yeah, all great movie. I yeah. love it. I highly recommend it to anybody. I think you should watch it. Um, I think it has a high rewatchable factor. And again, Christian Bale, Matt Damon did outstanding jobs. Yeah. The competitor in me was super pissed off about that. Oh, Cause I was like, sure. for sure. Um, and the other element of it too, is I saw some similarities uh, in how like, they, I thought it was super fascinating the designing of the car um, aspects of it, where they like added all the pieces of tape to the car and had um, someone like take it out for a spin, and they figured out like where the car was failing based on like what was happening with where the wind would come up um, and put the pieces of tape up, and they could like catch air was going in but not coming out. Yeah, it was just wild that they could kind of see that kind of stuff and notice that, and then they had to update the design. So it's kind of cool to just see the design process because, one, as a designer, I kind of nerd out about that kind of stuff. But two, is also fascinating to kind of see what happens in, in some tech companies. What I've actually seen uh, and experienced myself is you get the the corporate people and the higher ups kind of like wanting something a specific way and kind of trying to dictate what ends up happening instead of like putting the trust in the people that are like actually capable or that's their craft or that's their kind of responsibility and taking it out of them. And it ends up leading to what you saw is that first car kind of just completely bombing in their first attempt at the Le Mans. And that's why Shelby ends up telling them is like, give me complete control. Like, let me kind of, build this car and it'll work but when you have this many people and you use like you had seven people touch an envelope before it got to you if you have that many kind of like layers you have to get through it's just not going to work because you need to be able to innovate and i think like that's kind of a steve jobs mentality was kind of like no just let the people go and build like what we believe is the right approach and trust and, and know that these people are kind of making the right decisions and kind of follow these you know, general principles or beliefs, and you can make something really good um, come from that. And it was kind of just an interesting parallel to like what I've seen happen in the in the tech industry and the design world and and uh, software development kind of stuff, um, and how it compares to like this attempt at trying to like design a car that could compete with Ferrari, but like the corporate executives trying to get too uh, too involved in the process and how that can kind of hamstring and, and hold the team back from being innovative or, or actually building the product that needs to be built. Yeah, go to war, Shelby, go to war. So no, I thought that part was cool. And then when he, he kind of tricked Ford into the car to really yeah. show him what he had. <laughs> Locked the Leo BV guy in his yeah, office. Stuff. And how he worked his way around that and was able to create that deal. Um, 
and have some control. Yeah, that um, that was a gutsy deal too. Like basically saying like, you have my whole company if he doesn't win this race. So uh, that was wild. I'm pretty sure Ford owns Shelby though, anyways. Now, so I'm curious how much. Yeah, I could see that end up happening. But, but um, no, so definitely as Casey said, highly recommend watching it. Very good movie. Um, I usually like to give a Michelin star rating to movies because I think it's an easier way. So it's either a one star means you should like check it out. Two is like, you should plan like around going to check it out. And three stars is like, stop everything you're doing and go watch that movie right now. I would say it's a two star in that sense. I think that's a fair rating. Um, two closer to three, but I'm going with two. Yeah, yeah, I think too. I don't think you have to plan around it, but I would definitely like you. I I don't think you should go out and stop what you're doing right now, but I think like you should put it on your radar if any of the stuff that we talked about sounds interesting to you. Um, and so a little long. It was two and a half hours, but um, I wasn't like bored at any. The racing scenes are incredible. They really put you in, um, and you get to feel like Christian Bale's emotions as he's like riding. So it's kind of cool the way they shot those racing scenes and. And any moment during a race, you're kind of like feeling like the adrenaline and and get pretty pumped up uh, during those moments. And there's a there's a good amount of those. Anytime like driving is happening, and yeah, you can see you get bored during like some of the the more like plot development stuff, where it's just you know people talking in rooms um, can kind of take a little bit. But like the actual action scenes are, are awesome. Yeah. All right, so. Two star Michelin uh, for Ford versus Ferrari, um, and then we also have our Parks and Rec rewatch going on, so we're continuing that. We watched episodes; it was sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. I'll do quick like here was the main plot and the subplot of each episode, just a refresher. Um, so the first one was Valentine's Day, um, and that's where. Leslie's mom the main plot is uh Leslie's mom has an old flame um from back in her early years that she just kind of they kind of went their separate ways and and um never were together again so Leslie's boyfriend hears the story and tries to bring them and and reunite them and the subplot of that is um Andy's kind of just performing at the senior center Valentine's Day dance and there's some other elements to that with Tom and his uh, ex-wife and Anne, um, Anne and Mark uh, in their relationship. And then we had the Woman of the Year, which the main plot of that is just Ron wins a Woman of the Year award that Leslie is very much deserving of and wants uh, badly. Um, and the other subplot of that is Tom uh, is trying to get people to invest in a local club. Um, and April's trying to help Andy find a new apartment. And then the last one was the possum. Basically, there's a possum on the loose on the golf course, and Leslie's put in charge of trying to capture it. Um, and then Mark and Ron. Uh, Ron's trying to get an extension on his wood shop. This is a subplot. And Mark's uh, kind of holding him to the actual like laws and, and guidelines in order to get that extension built, uh, and they clash over that. So what were your thoughts on those three? Again, funny episodes. I'm enjoying them. Uh, they were good to watch. Um, I think you said it yourself. Like, none of the episodes really like absolutely like floor me. Like, like kind of like we can make these office parks and rec comparison. I can think of a few office episodes that are like bang, bang, bang. Like, 
absolutely hilarious. But that being said, I think every Parks and Recs episode now that we've gotten past a certain point have been good, funny, like you're getting a quality episode every time. And I don't think you can always say that about The Office. Um, funny again, I think my favorite part was in that third one when Ron was going for his uh, um, permits. Yeah. And you saw all the issues with his permits. And then I just love at the end uh, when Mark comes in and he's just like, I took a half day, just shut up, <laughs> shut up. And he kind of does his talk with the camera, like during the credits a little bit. And you just hear Mark in the background when, he, when uh, Ron's trying to like justify why he's following the government. And Mark's just like, just shut up, just <laughs> shut up. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of good, like, small parts of that, too. Like, Ron's sign going into his wood shop. This is violators will be shot. Like, no trespassing violators will be shot. Survivors will be shot again. And then uh, him, like, cutting the, uh, like, rule book in half with one of his wood wood saws that he has in his wood shop. Um, and the fire hydrant or fire extinguisher um, that he tries to show is like it was expired in 1996 and he's like it still works and it's this shoots out this like orangey rusty liquid out of it. barely shoots out any liquid yeah i was surprised anything came out of it um but yeah that was a fun like again that's just for laughs and and kind of showing some of the characters and, and giving you a better sense of who ron is and how he like just hates the government so he's just like can you give me this approval um he talks about all his freedoms and stuff like that um you know, i do like the um where april and andy's relationship is going you know i'm having fun following that i do like that um and it's, it's i mean they haven't fully come out with it i think it's pretty obvious to everybody else except andy yeah <laughs> probably clueless um but i do like that dynamic i think that's pretty cool um and a cool plot line that i want to want i'm interested like that's probably the first plot line i'm really really interested in um so far yeah that's a um a good one that they spend uh, a good amount of time trying to like slowly build it up but like enough time with it that you're like you said you kind of start to root for a little bit and especially since like april doesn't really like anyone at all but like she's kind of taken to andy and get to see like how different she is around him versus other people um and just like how different she is when she actually likes someone um and cares about them but uh yeah andy's obviously oblivious to that and still like has this connection with Anne that he can't like kind of kick yet um but like andy also really likes april but and i don't know if it's been if he's figured out whether like what level of that kind of feeling is yet um but he obviously enjoys being around her too um but yeah that, that relationship getting um the time and and uh energy to kind of build it up um is good and they've been doing a lot of time like over the course of these like probably last like 10 episodes or so um they spent a lot of time um with that relationship um and as another relationship is there's some hints again at the Anne and mark relationship potentially um maybe fizzling out a little bit um you saw it with Anne and mark when they're talking while they're dancing and Anne doesn't really give mark a definitive answer about him kind of asking a surprising question like oh we're good right like on paper everything seems good and and she's kind of like yeah things are good with him but she doesn't seem like super excited about it um 
so you're starting to see that kind of uh those are some of the smaller plot lines that we've seen be introduced in this season that are kind of actually moving forward and, and along as the season progresses. Um, but yeah, smaller stuff. You, you've now seen like Tom and his ex-wife kind of have a little bit of a plot line over the last few episodes. Um, that got a little bit of time in the Valentine's Day one. Um, you got John Ralphio back again. So I told you. Your boy's back. I told you. So another appearance by him and uh, legendary. Just like a quick, like five minute, like not even like a, it was like a two minute scene. And uh, but like he's uh, always like very boisterous and um, obvious when he's there um, because he just owns the scene because he's just trying to be the center of attention of it all. Um, I also thought. You got to see a little bit more of Leslie and Ron's relationship um, when it comes to the uh, Ron winning Woman of the Year, which is a really funny uh, twist on that and how upset Leslie is over a dumb award. But Ron recognizing that she still earned it and deserved it um, for all the work that she does um, and kind of sticking up for her when the organization kind of stuck to their guns and and wanted to give him the award for something he actually didn't do. Um, But he was you know, very, a man of integrity, um, and gave the, uh, Leslie the due, uh, credit that she deserved. Again, little elements of Leslie and Ron too. So starting to see more, uh, plot, uh, developments happen. There was a line that I thought pretty much summed up Leslie as you talk about her, um, when they were talking about the award and I, she was pretty much saying like, Oh, great. Do all this work for someone else to take the credit. Why do I do all this government work? Oh, because it's great and I love it. Like yeah, exactly the sentiment, um, showing her, you know, her just good side and her good intentions and everything. You know, even though she does want the award, um, everything she does is for good intentions. Yeah, exactly. Um, she just loves to work and wants to do it really well and help others in the process. So, um, so there's some good episodes. We're definitely reaching to like the end with this. We have 19, 20, and 21. So we have six episodes left. So two more sets of uh, three episodes and definitely coming towards the finish line here. So I think we'll start to see some plot lines um, progress and also kind of tie up too as the, the season kind of comes to a close. But um, definitely getting closer. So we'll watch 19, 20, and 21 uh, for next week. Any other thoughts or anything you're kind of, I know you said the April Andy relationship, anything else that you're kind of hoping to see in the last few episodes? I mean, I'm obviously figuring out like, you know, I've seen cast and I've seen enough stuff that um, I'm a big Rob Lowe fan. So I'm looking forward to seeing his entrance into the show. Um, I know I probably shouldn't know that or whatever, (laughs) but I mean, the show has been out long enough for me to know that he, yeah. Character on it. So I'm looking forward to his entrance on the show. Um, I think Ron Swanson is still my favorite character. I know that's pretty much a no-brainer. I'm sure he's a lot of people's favorite character. Um, but again, happily surprised, like I say each week, um, that the show has come together and I enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely clear that it's found its footing a little bit more. Um, and I think you'll even see it further in, in some of these later seasons too. Um, but yeah, so 19, 20, 21 for next week. Um we also have baseball coming back next week. Uh, I think it's Thursday is when games are supposed to pick up. So that will be, assuming everything goes to plan, um, be a nice change to actually have some real pro sports back. And then the following week after that is uh, basketball. So we'll see if things stay on track. But um, kind of exciting times as long as everything goes well. 
Yeah, hopefully we keep. Hopefully we start trending back in the right direction. I know things don't seem to be. It'll be fun. Uh, give us some more things to talk about too in the process. <laughs> sure. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll like I said, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one for Parks and Rec, and then uh, I'll probably have some baseball talk uh, potentially for next week, and and anything else that comes up in the meantime. But uh, until then, we'll see everyone next week. Thanks for listening. Right.